Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. As uh, Jay mentioned, my name is not Pastor Keith Moore. Um, I got the call yesterday that he was under the weather. Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. As uh, Jay mentioned, my name is not Pastor Keith Moore. Um, I got the call yesterday that he was under the weather with a stomach bug, and so he sent me over some notes and said, go to town. So we'll see where this goes. Um, It'll all be all right, I guess, at the end of the day. We'll see. Um, But I am glad to be here with you. Uh, We are excited uh, about this series that we're about to start called Deliver Us From Evil. Um, Our hope and prayer is that this will help answer questions. Um, It'll help get us prepared because the fact of the matter is um, evil stuff goes on all the time, right? And so um, let me me tell you, this is just the first part of this series, right? I think there's five or six more. um, And to get the whole picture... Uh, you, you really need to come back. That's not a shameless advertisement. I'm just telling you, we can't cover and tackle this topic on one Sunday morning. Um, it, it's been built around a series. And so today, I don't necessarily want to leave you hanging, um, but we're going to scratch the surface, surface a little bit. We're going to begin to lay a foundation for how do we understand evil from a, from a biblical Christian uh, worldview. Um, let me tell you, I took a, a seminary class, actually, Um, called Theodicy, A Defense of God. And after that entire seminary class, I still had questions, right? And so if you still have questions after today, don't worry. Come back over the next couple of weeks. And at the end of the series, if you still have questions, it's okay. We'll work on them together. Is that a deal? Is that fair? So um, a number of years ago, I got to go on my first mission trip to Thailand. Uh, We were doing medical clinics. I was working with Dr. Eric Hoffler, and uh, we were seeing primarily, um, primarily children, but there were some villagers that were coming in. And so in Thailand, if you haven't heard our story there, what we do, but we're kind of on the border of Thailand and Myanmar. We work specifically with the Karen people. We'll help anybody that's also in the village, but we're working with the Karen people. That's a tribe that lives in Myanmar. Up until about a year ago, um, they had been in the longest-running civil war on the planet um, with the Myanmar or Burmese government, um, dating all the way back to World War II. All right, so um, basically, long story short, the government there had been trying to wipe out some of the hill tribes. I don't understand all the reasons why, but I just know that that's what they were doing. So anyway, we're there, we're, we're doing some medical clinics for these people that have been run out of their homes in Myanmar and are, are coming to live in Thailand refugee camps. And, um, you know, we're kind of going throughout the day, Eric's seeing patients, I'm getting medicines together, um, and then we've got some local Thai people who speak the, the Korean language and they're praying. And so it was a great, really, ministry model. Well, I remember there was this guy that came in. And uh, I was going to show you a picture of him, but I thought it might be too um, gruesome. But he didn't have any eyes. Um, his hand or arm was, was gone. The other hand was deformed. He was scarred all over his body. And what had happened was... It, when the Burmese government or the Myanmar government goes into these Korean villages and wipes people out and runs them off, before the army leaves, they plant landmines all over the place so that when people come back home, they get blown up. 
And so this man, I think his job was is to go in to help find those landmines and disarm them. And something went terribly wrong. It blew up in his face, and thankfully he didn't die. He was alive. Now that had happened a while back. He wasn't there for us to treat his blindness or his wounds. All of that had, had been done. But I remember later on that day, we get back to the hotel uh, that we were um, staying in, and I'm kind of journaling a little bit about the day, and, and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, God, why do you allow this kind of stuff to happen in the world? Why would you allow some crazy government to try to wipe out a, a whole group of people? Why would you allow this man who's trying to help his own people by clearing the landmines that were placed in his village, why would you allow that thing to explode? And I wrote questions. God, why haven't you stepped in and stopped this? Why don't you do something about this so that this doesn't happen anymore? Because you see, I also knew not only did that man was his life forever changed, I also knew that there was children that had been separated from their parents because their parents had been killed or their parents ran one way and the kids ran the other way and they never found each other again. I don't know about you, but that makes me ask questions like, God, why does this happen? Remember, at that point in time, I had been a Christ follower for over 20 years, well over 20 years, gone to seminary, taken a class on a defense of God and the problem of evil and suffering, and yet I still have the questions, don't you? Anybody else have those questions when you read about crazy stuff that goes on in the world? Stuff that happens to our family members, to our friends, to people in our church family? We go, God, where are you? When those moments happen, and we have those questions, it's important for us to go back to the foundation of our faith. And so that night as I was praying, God reminded me of some of the things that I had learned over the years about why does this stuff happen. And so I want to share with you a little bit about that and kind of get the ball rolling in this whole series. Before we dig in, can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that you love us and that because of your love, we can love you. God, I confess that I don't always understand what goes on in the world. I don't always understand your ways. I don't understand fully why you allow evil to happen. But I and we as a church family confess our trust in you. Not just in the things that you do or have done, but in you, in your character. Father, help us all in this room to have our faith increased and our trust in you increased. Father, I imagine that there are some people in this room that are currently angry at you or have doubts about you because of the evil that has happened to them or the evil that they have seen in the world. Lord, for those of us that are struggling with this question, speak to us this morning. 
Father, I pray that you would help those that are currently struggling or in the midst of something evil happening to them, that they would sense your love and your patience and your kindness and your goodness. For those of us that aren't currently going through an evil time, aren't currently going through pain and suffering, Father, this morning allow our foundation to be laid strong so that when the struggles do come and when the questions do come, that we will rest and we will trust in you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start by building a biblical foundation based on some truths found throughout Scripture. Um, And so here's the first truth. It's this. God is good. God is good. God is good. We have to believe that. You've got to start there. That God fundamentally is good. His character is good. Psalm 100 verse 5 says this, For Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. What this verse is teaching us is what it's saying to us is that God is good. His character is pure. In him there is nothing wrong. In him there is nothing evil. There's not even a speck of bad or evil in God. Not only is God's character good, but God's actions are good. His actions are good. In Genesis, we see as he's talking about creation, God saw all that he had made and it was good. This verse implies that the things that God does is always good because his character is good. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. People are speaking to Jesus, calling him good teacher. And here's what he says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, if you don't believe he's the Son of God, at least you probably believe he's a good teacher. He is saying that God alone is good. His character is good. We have to start with that as a fundamental basic foundation for us in our theology, in our doctrine. So the second truth is this, that we're going to build our foundation on, is God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, verse 18 says, describes God as a great and mighty God. The Old Testament and all other kinds of places describes God as the God of the angel armies. If you're the God of the angel armies, you must be powerful. You must be big. It means that when I say that God is all-powerful, it means that there is nothing that God can't do. God, with words, spoke the world, the universe, into being. How that happened, I'm not sure, but God did it through his words, and it happened. So God is good, God is all-powerful. Here's a third truth that will throw us for a little bit of a loop, and it's this. The world is evil. The world is evil. This leads to some questions. If God is good and God is all-powerful, and the world is evil, how can all of these be true at the same time? For if God is good, how in the world could he allow evil to exist? Or if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he step in and stop evil from happening? 
How could a good God, an all-powerful God, create a world in which evil continues to exist? In short, we're going to explain this a little more later on today and into the future, but in short, it comes down to this. The answer is there is no love without a choice. There's no love without choice. God could have created people. He could have made a person that would never have chosen sin. But then that person would have been denied the opportunity to truly love God. Now there's a fourth truth. Again, we're going to come back to that. I know that opens maybe a can of worms for some folks, but we're going to come back to that. There's a fourth truth. God is sovereign. Can't spell that word? Don't worry about it. Just write it down best you can. God is sovereign. This means that there is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and his authority. Don't make the mistake of saying that God causes all things. It's not what sovereignty is. But there is nothing that happens without God being aware of it. There's nothing that happens that's out of, of God's umbrella of authority. Revelation 21 verse 6 says, God is above all things and before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is immortal and he is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. May not feel like that sometimes, honestly. But he is in control. Fundamentally, foundationally, we as Christ followers have to believe that God is in control, that God is sovereign. There's a fifth truth that we have to believe. It's this. God gave mankind free choice. God has given us the freedom to choose. To choose him and his ways or to choose the world and the world's evil ways. How do we reconcile those last two truths, a sovereign God and a people that have the freedom to choose? How would Pastor Keith answer that question? Anybody know? I don't know how all that works. I can't give you a scientific formula. I know we as Americans like to figure everything out. We like to be able to say A plus B equals whatever, and then you can go on. I don't even remember that formula anymore. So just we like to have the answers, don't we? But let me, let me tell you something fundamentally about God. We are never going to understand him fully, are we? If we could, if we could fully get him and we could fully understand all about him, do you think he would really be a God worth worshiping? A God really that we ought to be in awe of? If our finite little minds could figure him all out? Now don't make the other mistake. God is noble. We can know him. We can know about him. We can have a relationship with him. But we will not figure him all out. I can't answer for you that tension between God's sovereignty and man's free choice. We just have to acknowledge that it's there. There is a tension. And I, and I also have to warn you not to go too far one way or the other in that tension. Because if you go too far towards that God is in control, you get into something called fatalism, where you assume and you believe that everything that happens is already scripted out. And so then there is no worth of trying to do good, or there's no worth of trying to follow God because it's all going to happen the way it was planned out to be. 
But if you go way too far over on the other side of man's free will, you fall into the trap of humanism that basically says that we as people are totally in control of our destinies. And the answer to that tension is somewhere, I'm not even going to say it's somewhere in between because that implies the middle. I don't know that it's in the middle. But it is somewhere in between those two ends. So with those truths in mind then, let's look at what the Bible has to say about the reasons for evil in the world. There are reasons that evil exists. The first one is this. God's will. What, you might say? God's will? God, it's God's will that there's evil? Well, it is God's will in this sense. God allows evil. I want to say as well, the problem of evil and suffering might possibly be the single greatest intellectual challenge to Christianity in America. In answering that whole question, it's hard for us to understand how a great and good God could and would allow evil to exist. Why would he have made a world where evil could come to exist? Why does God continue to allow it? We're going to answer those in just a few moments. But God allows people, he allows you and me to make bad and sinful choices, doesn't he? It's not just the people out there that make bad and evil choices. We make bad and evil choices. He allows us to do that. Therefore, in a sense, he allows evil to exist. Listen to Psalm 81, verse 12. So I hand them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. God allows us to make evil choices. Now, God gives us guidance and commands in the Bible on how we are to live our lives. If we choose to disobey or, or, or disobey those commands, to ignore them, run away from them, he allows us to do that. Now, sometimes in this whole God allowing evil to happen, sometimes we suffer evil because of the choices that we have made, right? We make bad choices in our life. We get involved in something, something and, and evil begins to happen to us. And sometimes it's because you've made a bad choice. Other times, evil happens to us because of a bad choice somebody else made. You know, our church family was affected by this on Christmas Day. Many of y'all know the McCormick family. You know that um, Ryan's wife, Celeste, was tragically killed on Christmas night because someone chose to drink and drive and flew through a stop sign. had an opportunity Friday night, many of y'all probably went to um, or saw it online, to, to Celeste's, um, her life celebration. And I got to talk to Ryan for just a few minutes at the end of that. And let me just tell you, he is modeling for us, that whole family is modeling for us how to deal with evil and suffering. When I was talking to Ryan earlier in the week and then talking to him on Friday night, he said, you know what, I, he said, I want this whole bad evil thing that has happened to me in my life, I want it to be something that God uses for good. And that was the reason why they created their service on Friday night the way they did. If you saw the service, you get what I'm talking about. If you didn't, I don't know if it's still online, but go watch it. It's amazing. It was an incredibly worshipful time. It was an incredible time to honor God. It was an incredible time where the gospel was preached. That evening, when I was getting to talk with Ryan at the end, he said, he said, John, listen, 
He said, you know how we talked about wanting this thing to make a difference in the world, right? And for God to use us for good. He said, he said this lady came up to me and said, I, I, my husband for the last 15 years would not even talk to me about God. Not a believer, not a follower of Christ. Wouldn't even have the conversation. He has already come up to me, not me, his wife, come up to me and said, I need to talk to you about this God thing based on what I've heard in this service. We need to have this conversation. Let me tell you, even when we are affected by the evil choices of other people, God will use those times for good. He will use those times for good. Now there's a second reason. Not only does God allow it, and when he allows it, he will use it for good ultimately, but there's a second reason that evil exists, and it's Satan's influence. There's a... A, a real being out there that we have called Satan. And Satan has and will afflict evil on this world and in people's lives. He wants nothing more than to mar God's good creation. He wants to destroy it. And I know that the cartoons and the movies, they portray Satan as a little red dude with a pitchfork and a little tail, and I wish they never would have done that because it makes us think of him as a cartoon. And it makes us not take Satan very seriously. I don't think that's good. We must, as followers of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, you really need to take Satan serious because he is about trying to destroy people's lives. Let me tell you a little bit about Satan. Satan, at one point in history, he was an angel in heaven, a powerful angel in heaven. He fell from heaven due to pride and he rebelled against God because he wanted to be God and take God's place. And he has been given limited freedom to influence the earth. And he is trying to do his best to keep as many people as he can from getting to experience the, uh, the freedom of a relationship with Christ in the hope of heaven one day. And quite frankly, he is good at it. But let me tell you something else about Satan. Satan was actually defeated at the cross. You see, at the cross, Satan thought he had won. He thought he had destroyed God's plan of redemption. Little did he know that Jesus would be raised to life, and he defeated death. He defeated Satan in that moment. Revelation teaches us this, that God has already won. Check this out. The devil, the revelation is telling us about what is to come. And it says this, it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. That will happen one day. Satan knows now that this is his future. When Jesus was raised from death after his death on the cross, he knew at that moment that he was defeated. But he wants nothing more in the time that he has, in his limited time that he has, to wreak havoc. He wants nothing more to ruin as many of God's creation, as many people as he possibly can, and keep them ex from experiencing heaven one day. Because he knows that it hurts God's heart when we don't choose him. The Bible goes on to describe Satan as a roaring lion, prowling around, looking for who he can devour. A couple years ago, I got to go to Kenya uh, to, to serve with Care for AIDS, and uh, we got to take a day or two off, and we went um, on a safari. Anybody ever got to do that in Kenya? Anybody? It's amazing. If you ever go to Kenya, you need to take a day or two to do that. 
So anyway, we're driving around in this little van kind of thing that the roof kind of pops up and we're all sticking our heads out and all that kind of stuff. We're in Kenya. And we come upon this big, huge rock, almost a monument-looking thing. And the driver turns around and says, hey, listen, you see that rock? It's the border between Kenya and, um, I say it, Tanzania. I'm told I don't say that right, but anyway, that's what I call it. So there we go. And, and so he, he pulls around so that we could say we've all been in um, Tanzania. And so I asked him, I said, hey, would it be okay if I opened the door and just put my foot out so that I could say I've actually touched the soil in Tanzania? I know that sounds strange and dumb, but it'd be cool to say that I've been there. So he turned around and looked at me like, you are a fool. And I was like, dude, what's the problem? Why can't I just open the door and stick my foot out and, and touch it? He goes, because there might be a lion around. Now at this point in the game... I think we had only seen like zebras and giraffes and maybe some elephants. We may have seen the black rhino at that point. Hadn't seen the lion yet or if we did it was from far off. And I was like, yeah, so? I can just open the door, stick my foot out, put my foot back in and it'll all be good. To which he just, he mumbled something and just kind of drove off. <laughs> I went, okay, I guess I'm not getting out. So on another trip to Kenya, we had a, a, a new group of people with us. So we took them on, an, on another one day safari or two day, one, a day and a half safari, whatever it was. And we actually see these lions stalking a wildebeest. Now, the only reason we knew the lions were there is because there was about 2,700 other vans that had circled around, and they were all kind of pointing in that direction. And you look really, really hard, and all of a sudden you see that, holy cow, there's a lion like right there. And it's sneaking along trying to get close to this wildebeest. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how far away the wildebeest was, maybe where Jack Perry is now, right kind of back there, all of a sudden, that line is from there to there quicker than I can push the little shutter on my camera. And I went, oh. <laughs> That's why the guy wouldn't let me out of the car to say that I had been in Tanzania. He knew something I didn't know. He knew how dangerous lions were and how dangerous they could be. The Bible describes Satan as a, as a lion. Very dangerous. Church, we must take him seriously. Christ followers, it doesn't mean we need to be afraid of him. We have the power of Christ in us, right? But we must take him seriously. So God allows evil. We know that there is Satan who's actively trying to destroy God's creation. But there's a third reason. We choose evil. You and I choose evil. It doesn't sound good to say, does it? Say it with me one time. We choose evil. Gosh, it's hard. Even saying it now, I practiced this yesterday a little bit last night. I, it's hard to say. I don't like saying that. For humans, evil began when Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, they chose to do their own thing as opposed to following God's commands. Adam and Eve then passed that sin, that sin nature along to their children that got passed along to us, this thing called sin nature, so that sin became a part of all of us. And we all inevitably sin. Nobody had to teach us to sin. I heard that about myself when I was a kid. I didn't really believe it till I had my own. And then I went, oh, nobody has to teach them to do wrong stuff. Evil is, was not just Adam and Eve's problem or other people's problem. Evil is present in us. We have to admit and be aware that evil is present in us. Romans chapter 7, verse 21, just in case you think I'm making this up. Romans 7, 21 says, Paul is writing, 
Right, Paul, author of a lot of the New Testament, follower of Christ, did some incredible things. He says, when I want to do what is good, evil is with me. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, What then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we have all previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. He's creating the case for us. It says, without Christ, we have no hope. On our own, we're stuck. On our own, we are evil. This is why people can do horrible things. It's the reason why dads can abuse their kids and their families and leave their spouse for greener grass. It's the reason why we read stories about moms who sell their kids into slavery so that they can have drug money. It's the reason I can sit in front of a friend of mine and talk to him about these things that are going on in his life and he can look right back at me and say, yeah, I know you're right, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to follow God anymore anymore. Because evil is in us. But for the grace of God, any one of us could do some of those evil things that I've just talked about and some of the evil things that you have seen on TV or that go on around the world. But for the grace of God, we all could be there. I know you might think, well, those are all horrible things, but don't we all enjoy juicy gossip sometimes? Listen. Listen. Sin just the same. We struggle with sin. We struggle with evil. So, we've looked at some truths that we can build on. We've looked a little bit about reasons why evil exists. But you might say, I have another big question. Why does God continue to allow evil to happen? Why doesn't God stop it? And that is a great question. Two things. First is this. Remember that God has already defeated evil and he currently restrains much evil from happening. Restrains mean, means that he keeps some evil from happening. We don't even know that, that it's going on. It's kind of like when, when Caleb, my oldest son, when he was young and he was learning to walk and he was kind of toddling along and all that kind of stuff, I would walk behind him with my arms like this down behind him so that if he was going to fall, I could catch him before he got hurt on whatever it was that was down there. I was being a good and loving dad at the moment. God is doing that for us all the time, and I don't think we realize it. He didn't realize it. My son didn't realize that I was behind him. If he did, he would have gotten mad that I was behind him because he'd been like, I can do this on my own. God is restraining evil already in the world. He has already defeated it. He protects us from evil, and then we don't even see. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Listen to this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Evil has really already been defeated. The cross of Christ has defeated it. And so you say, why do things that are bad and evil still happen? Here's here's what it comes down to. God is patient. God is patient. Listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 
An incredible verse. Here's what it says. It said, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Let me say that in John Warnock language. God is not putting a final stop to evil because there's people in this room that God loves and that God wants to have a relationship with and he doesn't want you to perish and be separated from him for an eternity. There are people in the world that God loves, God loves us all, by the way, that God is waiting for them to become followers of Christ so that they will not have to spend eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. God is patient. That is the reason why he has not come back yet. It is the reason why the evil still happens. Because God is being patient. Because one day, God will return. God will return. And he will stamp out evil once and for all. He will put a final stop to it. But when that happens... Everybody's choices have been made at that point. And if you're a follower of Christ, you get to experience forever with God in heaven. If you are not a follower of Christ, then the Bible says, this isn't me saying, the Bible says that you are separated from God for an eternity in a real place called hell. Now, I don't know exactly what hell is going to be like. The Bible doesn't give us the full-on picture of it. But what I can tell you is, is that hell is a place that is totally void of God's presence. God basically removes his presence and says, okay, you chose not to follow me. You chose not to have a relationship with me. As much as it hurts me, I will give you what you want and I will remove my presence from your life. So you can come up with the worst thing that you can think of and multiply it times a million and that, what, that is what hell will be like because it will be a place totally void of God's presence. God ultimately has not stopped evil because he wants many more people to join him. I need to take a time out for a second here. Um, we've gone through, through some I hope, some foundation to this whole problem of evil and suffering. And I hope for those of us that aren't in the midst of struggle, in the midst of evil in our lives right now, that it's a faith builder for you. But I have to acknowledge, and, and I want to speak to, to the, the church family right now that's not struggling with evil at the moment. Now's the time to be learning this stuff. Because when evil actually happens in our lives, it's not time to whip out these eight things and share it with somebody. I want to use the McCormick family as another example because it, 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 it's fresh, but it, but it impacted my kids. We went to go visit them um, when Ryan finally made it back to his parents' house after being in the hospital. We visited them, with them for a little while. My boys get back in the car, and one of them says, how do they have so much joy? In the midst of something terrible that has happened, my, my boys don't understand you know, true love yet, right, between a husband and a wife. But they do get that they were, Ryan and Celeste were married. They get that it's got to be awful. And they said, they said, how could they have so much joy in the midst of something terrible that has happened? I thought that was a good question. And we were able to talk with them 
talk with my boys about, well, it's because the McCormicks, Ryan and Mac and Melanie and Meredith, they have a faith in God. They understand that God is good, that his character is good. They understand that evil exists in the world and that evil is caused by people's actions. But let me tell you what would not have been helpful for me to have done If Ryan didn't believe all those things and he wasn't joyful, it wouldn't have been helpful at that moment to whip out that list of eight things and go, let me tell you about all this stuff. What people need that are in the midst of suffering, in the midst of evil and suffering in their lives, they need the church to just be Jesus that loves them. And so church family, if you know people that are are struggling, love on them, support them, care for them, take them meals, hang out with them, be there for them, take their kids for them for a little while. Do something that loves on them. Does that make sense? You'll get what I'm trying to say. I don't know if it's coming out okay, but that's... So, I want to recap for you. We've been reminded of some of the answers. Not all of them. I admit, in 30 minutes, we can't cover all of the answers. We're going to have some questions still. Over the next few weeks, please come back, hear a little more about God delivering us from evil. But let me remind you, let me recap what we've learned so far today. God is good. God is absolutely good, not just in his actions, but in his character. God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. The world is evil. We learn that God is sovereign, meaning that he is in control. We learn that God has given mankind freedom of choice, a freedom to choose God or to choose the world. We learn that God allows evil because of that choice that he's given mankind. We learn that there is a real being out there named Satan that afflicts evil and is wanting to destroy people and God's creation. We learn that people sometimes choose evil with dire consequences. And we've learned that God has defeated evil ultimately and will one day wipe it out. And finally, we learn that God is patient and not restoring the world just yet so that many more people can come to know him. So what should our response be? What is our response to all of this? Well, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Now listen, there's nothing magic about closing your eyes and bowing your heads. It just helps you to not be distracted. kind of helps us get into an attitude of prayer. I want to talk to a couple of different groups of people in the room. The first is this, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, respond to God's call. God loves you. God sent his son to die on the cross to be a sacrifice for your sin, your evil, so that you could be reconnected to him, so that you could experience forgiveness, so that you could experience life to the fullest on on, on earth, as John 10.10 says, so that you can one day experience life in heaven And if that's you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver. God, I give you control. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and my evil. And with your heads bowed still and your eyes still closed still, if you prayed that prayer on the back of that communication card that Jay talked about, there's a box that you can check that says, I'm praying to receive Christ or I'm choosing to follow Christ. You can do two things with that. One, you can turn it in the offering baskets in a few moments. Number two, if you want to talk to somebody this morning, I encourage you to do so. 
Come at the end of the service to the front left-hand side of the auditorium. There's some people there at a table. We will help you on your journey. For those of you in this room that are, st- that are currently suffering from evil, let me say this, that evil, help, receiving help from evil and suffering actually comes from God himself. Don't run from God. Run to him. If you've not told anybody else, another Christ follower in this room about the evil that you're experiencing, tell someone so that we as a church can actually be the church for you, so that we can pray for you, we can walk along this time with you and minister to you. And for those of us in this room that are followers of Christ that are not currently struggling with evil and suffering, Romans 12, 21 says that we are to overcome evil with good. The goodness of God helps us to put the reality of evil in proper perspective. So this week, followers of Christ, Dogwood Church, I have a challenge for you. This week, I want you to do two things. Focus on the goodness of God and find ways to overcome evil with good and get involved in it. Overcome evil with good. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.